frequently when Jesus performs miracles or uh, something occurs of significance in his ministry, people respond with joy, joy in the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And so these songs, I think, are a beautiful way that the whole gospel is uh, entered through, uh, through song. Welcome back to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss everything from Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. This is episode 65, and I'm your host, Jared Luchibor, bringing this episode to you on the last day of 2020, and what a year it has been. Amidst the tumultuous times we found ourselves in, thinking of COVID-19, racial and even election tensions, turning to our Lord and Savior is really the only shelter in this storm. I hope that's where your ultimate focus has been, not only in this past Christmas season, but as we look forward to tomorrow, a new year, 2021. Although Christmas has passed, Old Testament professors Andrew Compton and Mark Van Hart reflect once more on the coming Christ as found in the Gospel of Luke, particularly the songs of Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon, and offer some reflections as we enter into this new year as well. Moving now into these uh, these canticles, these songs at the beginning of Luke, which uh, surround the... Um, well, the preparation for, and then the uh, the aftermath of the birth of Christ, even with one of those songs, and um, we'll spend some time reflecting on these, just as we reflect on the birth of Christ we just celebrated, and now as we enter into a new year, the year twenty twenty one, which everyone is hoping will be a much less eventful year than the year twenty twenty. <laughs> Indeed, I think it's significant that uh, in looking at these songs, it underscores something that is said frequently about the Gospel of Matthew, that the Gospel of Matthew is a gospel of joy. Frequently when Jesus performs miracles or uh, something occurs of significance in his ministry, people respond with joy, joy in the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And so these songs, I think, are a beautiful way that the whole gospel is uh, entered through through song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are very rich. I mean... We um there are, there are texts as well that especially at this time of year um, we we can hear a lot of performances uh, of choirs singing these very things. That Mary's song in Latin is called the Magnificat, and you um, you can find Magnificats composed uh, throughout the history of Western music, and even even some of the plain chants, and then the Nuc Dimittis of uh, of um, Simeon of Simeon. Um, is another famous um, setting, and just especially mm-hmm. in its Latin, uh, it, it's these are just set so marvelously to music, and and they've they've always captured people's people's hearts um, through music. So un- unfortunately, we don't hear uh, what this may have sounded like had they been sung. Although, at least with Mary's Magnificat here in in Luke chapter one, uh, we just read that she said, <laughs> but she at least spoke it poetically if she didn't put melody to it. Well, let's let's at least read read through a couple of these, and maybe take these up and in, in just in turn as we as we reflect upon um, how these uh, orient our thinking at this time of year. Starting with Luke one, first uh, forty six. Here's here's um, the aftermath of Mary's uh, visit with with Elizabeth, and um, Mary now responds, "My soul magnifies the Lord." 
and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The song in many ways is an echo of what Hannah prayed back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And the work of God in Hannah's life is of a piece with how God worked in so many of the women of the Old Testament era. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's God who can create life and create things when there's nothing there. And how often don't we encounter the barren woman uh, idea, the barren woman reality in the Old Testament. Sarah could not have children. Uh, Rebecca does not initially is not able initially to have children, and later she does conceive, as does uh, Sarah. Uh, Rachel has a difficult time having children Mm -hmm. initially. Um, Hannah is another one of the women who is not able to have a child, and yet they are the ones who, in the eyes of the society, probably were uh, looked down upon, maybe even despised. And yet, as Mary sings, God has taken account of the low estate of his handmaiden, and has lifted her up. Mm -hmm. This is echoed then in Psalm 113, where the the Lord is high above us, but he looks down upon this world, and he sees the humble and the lowly, and he raises them up to be seated with princes. Again, the idea of bringing down the powerful and the proud and to raise up those who are humbled and lowly. And then Psalm 113 also ends with, uh, he makes the woman who is motherless the joyful mother of children. Mm. Praise the Lord. Yeah, the language, especially between 1 Samuel 2, there's just so many echoes. It's interesting, too, how um, Samuel will go, will go on to serve as sort of this, this priestly-like uh, not exactly a kingly figure, although he will function as a judge, but he's certainly a kingmaker. You know, he will be the one who, who, who anoints uh, Saul, and then later will anoint David. Um, he's kind of a John the Baptist figure mm-hmm. in that he's the forerunner of the anointed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And hear her, hear her song echoes so much of the same uh, confidence in God's plan to use this one to accomplish these great things in the advancement of his of his rule and his reign. Yeah, and, and of course in. Um, in the Old Testament, we we have uh, types and shadows of these very realities, so that you know ultimately the Old Testament is not is not chiefly concerned with with what happens in this small piece of real estate uh, in the southern Levant with a, with a kingdom uh, with David, you know, and all, first off with Saul. But ultimately, this this is a microcosm of of God's rule uh, throughout the cosmos, and it's very fitting that that she would draw on that language now that Christ, the fulfiller of all these uh, promises to David, um, she would draw on that language in her own song. I'm struck as well at, um, many have noticed the uh, the, the past tense language, uh, right? She's She hasn't even given birth yet to Jesus, 
And already she's speaking about the mighty things that the Lord has done. Now, now clearly, you know, she makes appeal to, to the promise made to Abraham and his offspring. She can look in the past and see uh, the many ways in which God has always acted um, and accomplished mighty, mighty deeds on behalf of his people. Um, and yet some of the things where, where she's placing her hope really do seem to be uh, as yet to be realized, right? He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, well, the Romans are still seated on thrones at this point. So what does that what does that mean? He's exalted those of humble estate. Well, there's many who are still quite humiliated under under oppression. He's filled the hungry with good things. Well, they're still hungry. There's still people dying of starvation around her. The rich he has sent away empty. Um, and yet we can see how she has this confidence that this child in her womb uh, is is the one who will fully and finally accomplish these things. The many ways in which God has has offered these deliverances, these these filling, uh, this exalting kinds of things in the past, um, in in small measure, will be finally and fully realized uh, in Christ. You can speak that confidently of it. Mary, at the end of her song, says, "He has helped his servant Israel." in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So she puts these events in the context, not merely of God's good favor towards his people Israel, but to to the great father Hmm. of the Israelite nation, namely Abraham, who is the father of believers, circumcised and uncircumcised, Mm -hmm. and that God would raise a seed uh, from Abraham, not through his servant Eliezer, not through the slave woman Hagar, mm-hmm. but precisely through Sarah, who, whom when we first meet is barren and unable to have children. And so now the fulfillment of that promise is being realized in the birth of Christ. Yeah, I mean, he. it, it could be so easy to just very... I mean, you can even imagine how many in that day would zero it in. Well, of course he's coming to help us. He's coming to help Israel. Um, and, and they could focus on that. But by lodging this to in into Abraham, um, our eyes are, are fixed back on that promise, even in the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, right? I will, uh, I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, here, here is this... Um, this, this orienting us to the fact that great things um, lie in store for God's chosen people. And God's chosen people uh, are comprised of all nations. This uh, is echoed later on in Paul's first letter, uh, the first chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians, hmm. where he exalts the, uh, the cross and the preaching of the cross, which is foolishness to many, the Jews are always looking for signs, and the Greeks are always looking for wisdom. But what puts to shame the Jews and the Greeks' uh, criteria for, um, for greatness or authenticity? And, and he says, well, it's going to be the preaching of the cross. And then he says, near the end of 1 Corinthians 1, "...for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise." according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And I think that's another echo of the motifs, the the things that Hannah prayed about in her day, and then Mary prays about at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. God can go into into a place where there's nothing, speak, and it is. Mm -hmm. He chooses the nothings of the world, which would be a great encouragement to people who are lowly in this world. Um, Luke is sometimes called the gospel of the poor, the gospel of the Gentiles, and the, the coming of Christ is actually a confirmation that God has chosen his elect among those people as well. This song even comes before the birth of Jesus proper, but already you can see Mary's uh, confidence in what God is doing. But there's another song uh, now by Zechariah, which likewise comes uh, before, uh, the de- or before the birth of Jesus. But now uh, Zechariah was the... Um, husband of Elizabeth and, and who was struck dumb, um, but his uh, uh, when, when his son is born, and he names him John, when John the Baptist is born, his tongue is loosed, and, and he likewise uh, gives such a, a rich song of, of confidence in what God has accomplished uh, and what God is going to accomplish even through his son John, who will be the forerunner, but maybe if we read even these verses here... Um, Luke 1, verse uh, 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, notice how Luke, Luke is explicitly showing us this is, a, this is a prophetic word, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Boy, already there are some echoes of, of words uh, given in, um, in Isaiah, you know, that we read about the light, you know, uh, shining into the dark places. But what a, again, what a rich pastiche of, of themes and ideas and, and topics from the Old Testament prophets as well. The content of his song is also a beautiful echo of many things that uh, Mary has said, uh, speaking of the horn of salvation in the house of David, but in fulfillment of oaths that he swore to our father Abraham. Mm-hmm. Both Mary's song and Zechariah's song see the, the coming of the forerunner John and the Messiah himself as fulfillment of the groundwork laid by the Lord in his covenantal promises to Abraham, which was not just for the people of Israel. Genesis 12 is very clear that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, 
Uh, and even in the covenant with David, which was the law for humanity, that God has a universal purpose in raising up his son, David, to rule. And now John is going to... What happens here with the birth of John and the birth of Jesus after that is as what uh, I think Gerhardus Vaughts calls at points in redemptive history, God accelerates. Hmm. He steps on the gas pedal and things start to move very quickly, whereas hundreds of years of so-called prophetic silence have been going on. Now uh, he's going to move forward. John will proclaim uh, a baptism of repentance and calling Israel for repentance in order to prepare the ways of the Lord. Verse 76, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Yeah, and that acceleration of redemptive events, boom, 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 right one right after the other, which seems to occur in in these clusters, also brings with it um, such a flurry of revelation, of of new of of words from the Lord. Um, Here we have uh, again with with this these acts that are now happening in the birth of of our Lord Jesus Christ. uh, We have uh, such a flurry of textualizing God's holy and infallible and inerrant word um, at this time as well. Again, hence these uh, these songs that we're looking at here. Amazing. Again, you know, here he has this great confidence that um, of, of the salvation we're having, again, uh, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, but being able to serve him without fear. Of course, there's the the right kind of fear that that God continues to cultivate in us, the fear of the Lord, that confidence, that reverence, that recognition of His of His grandeur. Um, you know, it's that the um, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's a theme that that plays out, and yet uh, underscoring that we um, we serve the Lord now without that terror of facing Him as judge. And in fact, verse seventy eight, He even says. Um, he even he even puts us in the context of the Lord's tender mercies, right? The 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 coming of Christ, when um, here the coming of the forerunner and the message he proclaims is an act of God's tender mercy. Um, John's going to come and offer a whole lot of indictment, and people are going to be really rattled to the core about what they what they ought not to presume upon, um, and yet God is grabbing His people and and confronting them. Uh, with his plan, out of his mercy for them, his desire to bring about uh, bring about this um, th- this the sun again the sunrise that gives light um, to those who sit in darkness and guides their feet in the way of peace. Again, shalom. While this is not Hebrew, but uh, but fitting into that that peace imagery. Indeed, that's how he ends the song to guide our feet into the way of peace. One of the not the only, but one of the most beautiful terms that describes the heavenly commonwealth that shall never mm-hmm. pass away is that of peace, joy, and righteousness in, in Jesus Christ. Well, one final, one final song uh, that we'll uh, consider for just a few moments here is this, is this Nuke Dimittis of, uh, of Simeon, um, which now is in Luke chapter 2. Uh, following the birth of, of Jesus, now Jesus is presented in the temple, and, and you have... Um, Simeon, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, you know, spent his days uh, longing to to see God's promises come to to pass, and he takes up Jesus in his arms. Uh, in verse twenty eight, he blesses God and says, "Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation of the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. Of course, it goes on to talk about how, uh, kind of gives now a narrative recounting of this, but Simeon blesses um, Jesus' father and mother and says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. He says this specifically to Mary, his mother, um, for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What's interesting is that in Jesus' ministry, when he would say something or do something, uh, his opponents would start to either mutter under their breath or talk in their own mind and heart about their opposition. And Jesus would know what they were saying. I think of the uh, paralytic who is let down through uh, the roof opening in Mark chapter 2, and Jesus says, rather than, you know, you're healed, he says, my son, your, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately his opponents began to reason in their hearts, uh, who is this that says that? Only God can forgive sins. And so Christ's ministry brings to the surface what people really, really think and believe. And uh, therefore, he is, he is the source of joy for many, but he's also the sign from God that God appointed, but many will oppose that hmm. sign and oppose that appointment. Seems like, yeah, again, the, the, the fall and rising of many in Israel. How, how you know, John even, um, John even opens in his prologue with that same language. He came to his own... I mean, his own did not receive him. Uh, and, and even, we already are given a glimpse of where this is going. Again, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Um, whenever there's that, that sword imagery is, is often used in, in the Old Testament prophets. But, but, uh, but here we have this anticipation uh, that this is no sort of, you know, gradual coasting down into consummate glory now. But rather this is, um, this is achieving his kingdom and, his, and uh, and his reign um, through climactic conflict. One doesn't reach the crown without the cross. And Mary is the most blessed of women. All generations will call me blessed. And yet, even in bearing Christ the Lord, her life would be filled with uh, instances of uh, deep pain. Seeing her son crucified at the end is is probably the culmination of that pain, but uh, when the kingdom comes, it is a kingdom of peace, but that a peace is acquired through great suffering, uh, culminating, of course, in Christ's own passion and death. But those who follow him also are not handed, uh, you know, roses at the beginning, but rather, if you will follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, and that theme of of suffering in conformity with Christ really seems to be picked up and in numerous points in the Old Testament, Paul uh, makes much of that. Um, we're being shaped to his suffering. Our suffering is not an atoning suffering, um, but nonetheless, it's in solidarity. It's in union um, with him that, that mm -hmm. we too suffer. And yet, in that, we also, Paul says, are conformed to him in his resurrection and in his glorification as well. And, and indeed, as we enter 2021, we can look back and recognize that our eyes have seen his salvation that he prepared 
in the presence of all people, such that whatever suffering we face, whatever examples uh, do come, maybe 2021 is worse than 2020, um, and yet we've still seen his salvation. Uh, Christ has come. Christ has risen. Christ shall come again. Uh, th- these these things we know, um, and these these have undergirded the confidence of Christ's church for millennia and continue to undergird our confidence today as well. And I think it's really significant that uh, Simeon makes reference to things that are clear echoes from some of the servant, suffering servant songs of Isaiah. Uh, it's too light a thing, a too small a thing, that you should be a redeemer for Jacob, but rather I will make you a covenant for the people, a light of revelation for the Gentiles. As uh, Simeon sings in uh, verses 31 and 32, the glory of Israel, but that very glory is a light for all the Gentiles to see and uh, to which they are invited to come. And so as we enter a new year, uh, the gospel of Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again, is the only thing that will bring light to the nations. And that's a wrap for Mid-America Reform Seminary's Roundtable podcast in the year 2020. We were able to release a new episode every single week this year. So thank you to all of our avid listeners who tune in each week to hear theological content from our faculty and guests. As I mentioned last week, we'll be taking a break for the month of January, giving us an opportunity to produce content for you in the new year and a chance for you to catch up uh, as well. Can you believe that our first ever episode ever recorded was on the salvation of infants of believers? Just one of many episodes, perhaps, uh, that you've never tuned into before. Take the time to go through our archives and uh, cycle through previously recorded episodes. You can find them all on our website at midamerica.edu slash podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Have a happy new year. Stay tuned till February, friends.